I invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4, and we're continuing our uh, series through uh, this book. We have uh, seen in past weeks how God's plan is working out its way. God is bringing him forward in his plan in Moses' life to use him as a, a redeemer, as one who would rescue his people. He saved Moses at birth and even brought him into the family of Pharaoh by adoption, and he would stay there until his age 40. At that point, Moses, trusting now in his own plan, his own sense of calling his own leadership, tries to take things into his own hands and murders one of the Egyptians. That causes him then to be a man who's on the run. He heads out into the desert, the desert of Midian. He spends another 40 years there. He will work as a shepherd. While he's there, he meets a Midianite family, people who uh, don't know the Lord, don't seek the Lord. He marries one of the daughters of Jethro. Jethro is the father, and then he marries Zipporah, is her name. Now at age 80, as we began to see last week in chapter And as we'll continue looking this week in chapter 4, God has appeared in a dramatic way through this burning bush. We see that God is a God who reveals himself, who loves, and who sends. That's part of what he's doing and appearing in that bush. And then we see that Moses begins to respond by taking a step back, by showing that he's afraid, and by needing assurance. As we look at this passage today, we'll see... This continuing work of how God enables Moses in mission and enables us in the mission that he has for us in our lives, despite the objections we might raise, despite the correction that he might have to give us along the way, and even as he's gracious to extend to us a brotherly connection, the connection of other people around us along that pathway. I think you'll see What I mean as we read uh, Exodus chapter 4, I'll read the whole chapter for us as you read along with me. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. He threw it. He said, a staff, and he said, throw it to the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand, catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside the cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. And so he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, and may believe they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it out on the dry ground, And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? 
Now, therefore, go, and I'll be with your mouth, and I'll teach you what to speak. But Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming to you to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in heart. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. The Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, had them ride on a donkey, and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I've put in your power, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I'll kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint to cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. So, So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, did all the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we pray that you would take this, your word, and impress it upon us, work a work of transformation in our lives, because we need it today. We thank you for the promise that you do teach us and instruct us through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my wife Patience and I are not what I would call big-time travelers, but we have had some journeys. And if you know any of our travel stories, you know that most of them are replete with a lot of adventures. For our fifth anniversary, we decided to tour Europe on the cheap in a whirlwind fashion, a very short time frame. We were going to see a number of locations as we went along, and in true uh, Clark W. Griswold fashion, we're trying to cram too much in, so our connections from one part of our journey to another were crucial. 
We had spent a couple of days in London and then in Scotland and then traveled by overnight train down the western side of England, headed toward uh, Hollyhead, where we planned to catch a ferry that would take us in the morning across to our Irish portion of our trip. We uh, knew that the train was approaching the stops. We had our big, huge, overpacked backpacks ready. And as the train came into the station, we got up and went to the nearby door. We heard the announcement that it was time to get off, and I grabbed the handle to open the door, and nothing happened. I shook the handle a few times, and still nothing happened. Concluded that the door was malfunctioning in that part of the train, and so we began to make our way all the way down to the other side of the car with our backpacks in tow, smashing the heads of all the people on the aisle row as we went to arrive to that other door at the other end of the train car. Our intensity rose as we heard them announcing by that point over the train announcement that it was about to get underway again. Grabbed the handle once again. Nothing. Shook the handle vigorously to try to get it open and still nothing. I was in panic by this point as I saw a worker and could look through the window of the train to see one of the platform workers. I called him over and expressed to him my concern about our situation and told him that the doors weren't working. We needed to get out of the train. Well, he corrected me first and informed me that you had to reach outside of the window and grab the door from the outside handle. Just as he uttered those words, the train began to move forward. I tried what he suggested, and it didn't work. And he said in the most annoyingly polite British accent that he was very sorry, but that we were stuck on the train moving forward now. I raised a bunch of objections that it wasn't my fault. I didn't understand the door as he kind of trotted along the train now moving a little faster. He said there was nothing he could do. We found our seats, and I thought, well, at least we can get to the next station and turn around, and we won't be too late for our day in Dublin, just as they announced over the train speakers that that train had now become an express train all the way to London, three hours away. Well, we didn't make our day in Dublin. We did get to see twice the picturesque industrial southwest of England, I can tell you that. We think about God and God's plans and purposes for us. Obviously, the train wasn't taking us in the direction we need to go. But God's always taking us in the direction we need to go. Sometimes we don't want to go that way, though. We're not excited about the destination that the Lord has for us. We object. Sometimes he even needs to correct us along the way. A lot of times he's even in the midst of that, though, gracious to give us a human connection. At least I had patience with me as we traveled those six glorious hours back and forth. You'll see in your bulletin, I think, the main idea of our passage today. If you want to follow along and take notes, there's a section on the back of the bulletin. I think the main idea is just this, that as God enables us for our mission, for what he's called us for in life He meets us, and he takes us forward. 
He's like a train. He's moving forward. He meets us and takes us forward. He meets us in a couple of different ways we're going to see in these verses. He meets us in our objections. Right in the midst of them, he comes and he deals with our objections we've got to where he's taking us sometimes. He meets us with correction. We'll see that in one very obscure part of this passage that I'm sure you noticed as I read. And he meets us as well by providing a human connection, by providing some person to come along with us. Let's think for a minute about why do we even need to hear this? What's the message for us? As we think about Moses objecting to God in these verses, we might perhaps sort of sanctimoniously say, no, I I believe in God and I believe in his promises. I would never have this sort of attitude, but if we're honest, we probably realize that whether it's some specific thing that God's calling us to, like in the case of Moses, or whether it's just the general calling he has for us to walk as his children. We may not write out a list of objections. We may not be so bold to pronounce them out loud to God. But we've got a long list, myself included, of reasons we are not going to do some of the things that God wants us to do. Oftentimes, the scary thing about that as we think about, beginning to think about how this applies to us, is it's a little like a a father trying to load his child up in the vehicle and take the child to the store for ice cream, headed to a good destination, but the child decides that he's upset about the seatbelt, doesn't want to put the seatbelt on, has a fit, and ends up not going on the journey. A lot of times it's the same for us. We get upset about the seatbelt along the way. We object to some part of God's plan along the way. And if we're not careful, miss the destination that he has for us. He's gracious to Moses three times. Actually, five times Moses objects, three times in our passage. He's gracious to him. We'll also see, as I mentioned, that God is uh, gracious. It seems kind of harsh at some place, but he's also gracious to step into our lives and correct us. We're going to see that in some, some obscure verses we read in this passage My question for us today is, are we open to being corrected? I thought the train was messed up. Handles not working to get that door open. I was the one that was wrong. I needed to be corrected along that journey. And the last thing we're going to see is that we probably, most of us, lack a thankfulness, a gratefulness to God for those who he brings along with us on this journey. In this case, in these verses, Aaron is brought along with Moses, and he has tremendous thankfulness. Do we have that kind of thankfulness today, folks, for one another? For one another right here in this church family. For others who maybe are friends or close companions of ours that are walking with us, encouraging us in the spiritual life. For those who are in our life group, do we have a thankfulness for those that God is bringing Along our side. Let's talk about these things as we work through this passage. It's an interesting thing. Of course, if you look at verse 20 here, we already know what's going to happen with Moses. So we know where the train's going to end up. We know where things are going. He is going to agree to go to Egypt and load up his family, which is no small thing, to be sure. 
He is going to survive this correction that God gives him when God almost puts him to death. So we know that's going to happen. And we know he's going to receive great help and benefit from Aaron. So we know the end of the story. The question is, for me, how does God meet Moses along the way? And so, too, how does God meet us along the journey he has for us? Let's talk about that in three ways. Let's talk about how he meets us in our objections. Again, let's talk, us, talk about how he meets us in correction and meets us with connection with one another. Okay, let's talk about the first thing. God meets us in our objections. As I said, there's actually five that Moses gives. We looked at two of them last week in Exodus chapter 3. First one is Moses says, basically, who am I? To be able to take this message. Then he asks, what, if they ask who you are, who am I supposed to say? That's one, his second objection. And then the other three are in our passage we looked at today. The first one, he says, what if they don't believe me? What if they just don't acknowledge who I am? Then he asks, what if I can't speak? And then his last one is absolutely, he's just throwing all the cards on the table. Why can't you send somebody else? you got five objections. We'll look at. Those last three today. First one, he asks, what if they don't believe me? Look with me in Exodus 4, verse 1. He says, but behold, he's speaking to God, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. This is actually probably his best card to play as I think through that list. This one actually makes some pretty good sense. You remember he was a man on the run when he left Egypt, and then you also can think about it. If someone just shows up into your life and says that they're from the Lord, you don't always listen to that message. You need something to verify it. In fact, I had the chance to hear from one of our own members, uh, Dax Garrard, about a story of his family when they had a visitor from the Lord show up into their life. They own a, uh, the family owns a, a sizable farm property down near Marion, Alabama, a rural area to be sure, not very many people around. And they were down there last fall for a, a Saturday afternoon, sitting on the front porch, Dax and his father, when something came along that was unusual. Down that long, winding road, dirt road, up right into their front yard, came something unusual, an uninvited guest. The man got out of his car and greeted Dax and his father and then began to inform them right away that he had been walking around that area a little bit, which kind of perked their attention, that in fact the Lord had sent him there to claim that property from Dax's family for his new church, I gather some megachurch to reach the 213 residents of that county area uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Well, Dax and his father did the best that they could to respond to this man. Uh, Dax's father informed him that uh, although he was glad that the man was seeking to listen to the Lord and glad the man felt that the Lord was speaking to him, that until the divine one conveyed a similar message to the Gerard family that probably no change of property was going to take place. Things got even more interesting when the man went back to his car, car and uh, as this transpired, Dax even went as far as to discreetly bring out the family shotgun to make sure things didn't get too strange with this visitor. Well, everything worked out okay, and the man went on his way. 
But if you've got somebody that just comes into your life and says they're speaking for the Lord and nothing to substantiate it, it's a hard thing to believe. So Moses is asking a fairly legitimate thing here, and I think that's why God recognizes it and says, here, let me give you these three things, and the whole sermon could probably be done about each of these signs. But he gives them this staff. He shows them this thing of the leper's hand. If you have leprosy, you're stuck with it for life. It's not something you just get rid of. So the ability to bring his hand in and out and transform immediately. And then this, uh, of course, water on the ground that turns to blood. As we think about this objection, one thing jumps out to me that takes place here. And you see it in these verses where God tells Moses to reach out his hand to grab this what was once the staff and now turned into the snake. Moses has seen this happen. He's seen a burning bush. He knows God can do miraculous things. But like us, he's hesitant to take this first step of faith. And I think what God has given him here is he's saying, you know, Moses, I I see where we are. We're midway through five objections. I've given you a huge calling to go and to rescue these two million people. And I know that's a lot for you to absorb and to have faith in. And so let me give you this one thing that's really not that large, although it's scary. I just want you to give and and trust a little bit enough to grab a hold of this snake's tail, knowing that I've got the power. I just showed you I have the power to turn it from a staff into a snake, so surely I can reverse the program. As a reminder for us, that we need, perhaps along the way in our life, sometimes to just take a first step of faith, to just take the first little bit of the journey and see if God doesn't meet us there. Sometimes it's just going to take that first step of faith to believe that God can save a, a marriage that's on the rocks, to believe that we can stay and we can work this out. It's going to take a first step there. For some of us, it might take a first step to enter into that conflict situation at work that's been brewing, and you know the Lord's called you to enter in and to bring some kind of peace or bring some kind of truth to that situation, but you don't want to do it, and maybe it's just taking that first step of faith and entering in. Uh, for some here, shameless plug, we got a Ukraine trip planning, get them coming together, folks that are planning to go over on that trip. For some of us here, that step of faith might be to say, I'm going to go to that meeting next week on the 13th after the worship service. I'm going to hear about that Ukraine trip. I don't know. I'm not, not sure I'm ready to go, but I'm going to take that first step. I think God gives us those steps along the way. The Lord also uh, receives another objection from Moses. And our last two points will be quicker, so don't worry. I, can, I know you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. He says to uh, the Lord, he says, what if I can't speak? And this one's a little bit more straightforward. You see there in verse 10, he says, Oh, Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. And God's response is pretty straightforward and simple, almost maybe too simple for us. He says to Moses, he says, who is it that made your mouth? Who is it that gives us the ability to speak? And we say the same thing. We say, no, Lord, I'm not going to be used in that situation. And God says, who, who created you? Who made you? I'm the one that made you. Surely I can take what I have made and use it for my purposes. That we believe that today for us as we are challenged, intimidated to speak 
For a lot of us, one of the most intimidating things about being a believer is the calling to speak the gospel into the lives of others around us, to invite people to receive salvation, or maybe even just to invite somebody to come to church seems like a big step for us. God gives us, he will give us the words to speak in that situation. He made our mouth for his purposes. Last thing we see by way of objection is Moses just, he's done trying to finagle reasonable sounding objections. And finally he gets to verse 13 it is. And he just says right out, oh Lord, just send somebody else. I'm done faking like I've got some objections, some reasonable reasons to get out of this. Just please, I don't want to do this thing. He's struggling to delight in what God has for him. And if he's starting to sound, Moses is starting to sound like a fussy little child digging in their heels that won't go forward, it's because that's about what's happening with him. And that's about what's happening with us a lot of times and the things that God is calling us to face in our lives. We're digging our heels. We say, I just don't, I just take me out of this situation even though he's called us into it. One of those situations for you and for me where we know God's moving us forward towards something and calling us towards something, but we're objecting to it. We, again, maybe we don't say them out loud. Maybe we don't vocalize them, but we'd rather just not do it. And we've got in our mind some objections to it. Second thing we see in these verses, and it is an obscure part of this passage, but actually a lot to be learned from it, is this, that God meets us with correction. God meets us with correction. Take a look again, verse 24 through 26 in this passage. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses, sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. And said, surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. So he, God, let him, Moses, alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Whew. Sometimes as a pastor, I'm glad that we are committed to expository preaching, going through each verse of the Bible and trying to learn what it says. Sometimes I think it's a cruel joke on pastors. Uh, speaking of cruel jokes, the uh, stories told of the two boys that were sitting on the beds in the hospital outside of the operating room. Uh, there was there Bobby and Johnny, and Bobby leaned over to Johnny and said, well, what are you here for? Johnny said, well, I'm here to have uh, my tonsils taken out. Bobby said, well, and Johnny said, I'm a little nervous. Bobby says, well, there's nothing to worry about. I had that done a few years ago. And uh, they give you, they knock you out. They give you some ice cream. It's no big deal at all. Johnny asked Bobby, what are you in here? Bobby said, I'm in here for my circumcision. Johnny said, whoa, good luck with that, buddy. I had that done when I was born. Couldn't walk for a whole year. Nice transition into this bizarre account here. What's going on? I think what's happening here, folks, is 
Moses has been called to do this big thing for God. It's a grand thing to go and to rescue God's people, not a small thing. And, of course, along the way, Moses has drifted. He's drifted away from his people. He's been out in the the, uh, desert there, and he has forgotten some of the things along the way that the people of God are called to. In this case, it's the rite of circumcision. It was an Old Testament rite, a sign marking a person as among the people of God. We carry it over today with the sign of baptism. And certainly there's something in here to say that God uh, corrects that issue. So there's an importance of baptism to us as believers, and we might want to make sure to apply that sign to our children. But what it's saying is that when Zipporah does this and then she touches this to Moses' feet as he's sick and he's about to die, she's connecting that with him. And there's a reminder in these verses that God is in the business in his gracious and loving way of correcting us along the path that we're headed in life, too. Some of us here are probably saying, man, I, I really want to be used in the workplace for the Lord. I really want to be used in the church by the Lord. I really want to be used in my family as a spouse or as a parent or whatever situation by the Lord. These are the things that I've, I'm headed to. I'm headed on this destination. And these verses remind us that we should take care to make sure that our own hearts, our own souls are walking with the Lord as we go forth to do His will. Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews 12 that God disciplines those He loves. He punishes those that He cares for as His sons, just as a father lovingly works in our lives. Now, does that mean that every time I have some sickness or every time I face some big setback or difficulty that God is necessarily pinpointing some specific thing that's wrong in my personal spiritual growth? I don't know that we can say that, but we ought to at least ask the question, God, what are you doing? What are you teaching? Is there something in my life that's out of alignment with you? God's gracious to Moses. He's gracious to us as well to correct us. The last thing we see in these verses is that God is kind to provide a connection. Yes, I was trying to fit it with the other points in there, but I think, I, I think you see what I'm saying. In verse 14 through 17, we won't read them, but it's really a condescension. Uh, God wants to send Moses by himself, but Moses isn't going to do it. And God finally reaches a point where he's upset with him, and he says, okay, well, I'll send somebody along with you. So it's a sort of condescension, but it's also a great blessing, as we see, and I will read verse 27, if you want to look there with me, of Exodus 4. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words that the Lord of the Lord with which he had been sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded. Imagine what this was for Moses. God isn't even going to just say, uh, Aaron will meet you when you get to Egypt, which would kind of make sense to me because Moses is headed that way already. Speaking of going two directions you don't need to, God sends Aaron out to meet him out where he is. And again, I think as we read these verses today, we should see that God is blessing us 
as He takes us along the things that He's called us to, He's blessing us with other people alongside us. We ought to be thankful for our church family. This meal and so forth we're going to have in a little bit, it's a good time for us to sit down around the table. And as we do, we ought to be thankful that God has put us in one another's life to help us along the journey that He's called us to because it's not an easy walk of faith. Conclusion. I want us to see a couple things. You look at all of these things that we're talking about, our tendency to object to God, our need for correction, our need for others to come alongside of us. You look at Moses, who let's say he's above us and superior to us. He also needs these things, and it leaves us crying out, at least leaves me crying out, for one who would do all these things well. And as we think about Jesus, about who he is for us and being our righteousness, what a beautiful thing to realize that instead of objecting to what God called him to do, you remember he said, my meat is to do the will of God. He fed upon the opportunity to do the will of God. You remember in John 17, he knew that he came from the Lord. He knows who he comes from and who he's going to. He, of course, performed miracles on the way to show the work of God's word going forth through him. The closest thing we can think of, perhaps, to an objection for our Savior was in the garden as he's about to bear the sins of the world, my sins and yours, when he says, Lord, take this cup from me, but then immediately follows it up and says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do uh, praise you that you are taking us someplace in life. You have a purpose and direction and mission for us that you have called us to, to walk with you and to be your servants and to be a light in the world. Father, we confess readily that we have many objections to the way that you are taking us along that path. Father, we pray and praise you that you meet us in those objections. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would change us, that we would be people more ready to step out in faith as you call us to. Oh, Father, we praise you as well as we've seen in these verses that You come in and correct us. We thank you that we have a Savior that needed no correction along the way. He did all things well. And we thank you, Father, even that you're gracious to bring others alongside us. Let us be those who would be encouragement to others as they're struggling to walk the path the Lord has. And let us be those who would allow others to come into our life as we're struggling that we might walk and encourage each other. Oh, Father, we praise you and thank you for the word that you give to us and the wonderful things that it teaches us about you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.